And look who's coming up. of Ultimate Fantasy Sports Daily. My name is Dean Millard. It is awesome to have you aboard the show for the next two hours and something rare uh, that we have on this show. Uh, we have an entire, entirely open first hour. Uh, so lots of stuff that we can talk about. And of course, anything that you want to talk about uh, we can do that as well. Uh, simple way to get in touch with us. Join us on Twitch, twitch.tv slash ultimate fantasy sports. If you're watching it on YouTube, thank you very much. Or listening to our podcast, thank you very much. You can get the show on YouTube, Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network. Same for audio podcasts, Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network. Uh, but the easiest way to chime in and, and dictate what, the, uh, what you want to see in the show is by joining us on Twitch. You can also chime in at Duck Millard on Twitter. I'll check that throughout the show, and you can get us at Ultimate or at UFS Network as well. So, as mentioned, a uh, open first hour. Uh, we will have uh, Tom Gazzola joining us at 5 p.m. Eastern time. The Oilers host the Canucks tonight, and we've talked to Tom a lot about the Oilers because he does the pre and post game show for that team. But what about the Canucks? What about the team they're facing tonight? Do they have what it takes to make the postseason in the Pacific? I'm guessing there's only three teams from the Pacific making the playoffs again. Unless something weird happens in the Central, I think there's five teams from the Central making it. So that means one of our Dauber Hockey double shot preview teams today is out if five teams make it in. Because I I think we're all going to guess the Oilers and Flames are in. And who gets the third spot? Canucks? Golden Knights? Kings, maybe? The Anaheim Ducks make a run? I don't know. We'll talk with Tom about the Canucks. We'll also preview the Canucks and the Golden Knights. And we'll have fill in the blank. Uh, a little bit later on in the show, we'll work uh, fill in the blank at some point into the show. Uh, but Tom will join us at 5 p.m. Eastern, so just under an hour from now. That means we have a lot of time to talk about the things that you uh, want to talk about. If there is anything you want to chat about, let me know. Hit me up in the uh, chat board on uh, Twitch. Right as soon as you uh, log in, the message board is up there. Or you can get me on Twitter, at DuckMillard. You can also reach us at Ultimate Fantasy Sports Network. 
that is at UFS Network. All righty then. Let's get on with the show. Our uh, question of the day. Who is the first head coach to get fired in the NHL this year? Who do you think the first coach in the NHL to get the axe will be? This is not a fun thing to do. Jamie Thomas talked about it the other day. Uh, He wasn't particularly proud of predicting that Matt Rule would be the first coach fired in um, the NFL. But unfortunately, this is what we do. You know how many times people wanted me to get fired from TSN 1260 because I didn't agree with their takes? So anyway, I, I'm I'm looking at the Washington Capitals, and I hope this doesn't happen because my fantasy goalie in my big league, UFHL, is Darcy Kemper. We made a deal for him last year. Knowing he'd be a free agent, we were happy when he signed in Washington. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about some injuries and the age. So we'll see what happens. But that's my guess is uh, Peter Laviolette in Washington. If things go off the rails quickly for the Capitals, there could be a switch there. And, and you imagine uh, they bring Barry Trotz back <laughs> after everything that happened. You bring Barry Trotz back because he's waiting in the wings. Like, I think every NHL team that fires their coach first is looking at Barry Trotz. Or maybe even have talked to Barry Trotz already and say, hey, if things get off to a bad start, do you want to come and work for us? I wouldn't doubt it. I would not doubt that those conversations have maybe happened already. So you could chime in, uh, as mentioned, on Twitch. Drop it in the chat message board. Uh, you can also get us uh, on Twitter, at Duck Millard, or at UFS Network. Who is the first coach that will get the axe in the NHL this year? Our uh, top three today is inspired by... Uh, Devonte Adams, yeah, real winner. And listen, this comes from a Raiders fan. I am a fan of the Vegas Raiders, and I'm embarrassed by what Devonte Adams did. Now, should he be charged with misdemeanor assault? That's what Adam Schefter is reporting. Municipal Court of Kansas City. First of all, here's here's this is my sort of thought process on uh, things happening on the field or play or whatever and then going outside for criminal charges. Unless somebody dies, I think it should stay in the field of play and the league should decide it. I don't know. I think it's going a little bit far. Now, I think Devontae Adams was a moron in this situation. And the fact that, from what I can see, and I shouldn't say definitively, but from what I can see, he apologized in a scrum after and apologized to the dude or whatever. Like, didn't even doesn't even know the guy's name, nothing. Apologized on Twitter just to some random guy. Now, 
if I'm Devonte Adams, I'm reaching out, getting this guy's name, doing everything, you know, giving him as much gear or whatever you can do. Now, if the guy's going to sue you, the guy's going to sue you. He's probably not going to win. He might win a little bit and then you settle. But Devonte Adams has to be smarter. What if this was a coach? What if this was a coach of the Raiders? What if it was an official? I don't know. You just don't blow a guy over. And there's a big size difference. And I know it wasn't a huge hit. Like this isn't that this is, it was worse than Dennis Rodman. And look at the 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 thing that that the drama that followed that. So I think this was a dumb move by Devontae Adams. I think he should be fined, suspended by the NFL. Sure. I I'm a Raiders fan. I'd be fine with it because it was a dumb move. I don't think he needs to be charged with misdemeanor assault. I think that's going a little too far, in my opinion. Child, please. So, definitely some sort of punishment needs to be handed out. Should it go to the courts? I don't think so. What do you think? What do you think of this Devontae Adams being charged with misdemeanor assault? Well, what it did is it inspired our top three today. And... Devontae Adams, you know, whether you want to call what he did a meltdown or not, he pushed a guy that was just a camera guy after being pissed off because they lost. That's a meltdown. I'm sorry. There's degrees of meltdowns, but that's a meltdown. You're pushing somebody that leads to charges, whether I agree with them or not, it's a meltdown. So that's our top three athlete meltdowns. And I'm going back for my first two. This athlete meltdown jim everett and i wish i would have had time to pull the clip out but it happened not on the field not in a stadium it happened in a studio with jim rome and a lot of people think it was staged but jim rome kept calling him chris everett and jim everett said call me that one more time i dare you to he did and then he attacked him as a meltdown uh john mcenroe just pick any of them he was, he was the poster child for meltdowns in the 80s. So you just got to Google John McEnroe meltdown. You will be there. It, it'll be a rabbit hole that you will enjoy going down. For anybody that, you know, is not, I guess I would say anybody who is like 25 or under. And Tuka Rask, while you're at that, Look up Tuka Rask and the freak show he had while he was with Providence, the Bruins farm team. He threw everything on the ice. It was, it was spectacular. So, you know, Jim Everett gets it because it was classic. It was in the studio and people don't know if it was real or not. Tuka Rask, absolute awesome athlete meltdown. So top three athlete meltdowns today on the program chime in with yours tony says happy hump day dean thank you very much it's uh, fun midweek uh, great day uh, we've got playoff baseball coming up that we'll get to in a second uh, speaking of um, playoff baseball and and athlete meltdowns how about this randy johnson is an accredited photographer with the nfl I'm serious. I, Larry Fisher first said this to me today. I thought that was just a lookalike. I thought, oh, that's funny. That guy looks like Randy Johnson. No, dude. This guy has 
an actual photography company. And the best part is his logo. Remember he demolished that pigeon? He also pushed a camera guy in New York. After he signed uh, with the Yankees for that brief time, he he shoved a camera guy in while they were walking down. But there he is at an NFL game. There's his logo. That's brilliant. The big unit. Randy Johnson Photography. Good. Thanks to uh, uh, good friend Larry Fisher uh, for pointing that out. That is so hilarious. Uh, the haunch says, Ty Domi in the penalty box. Yeah. You know what? In all honesty, I give Ty Domi a lot of credit for that. Like, I thought Ty Domi was actually quite calm in that situation. Don't you? Like, I think it was actually a quite calm Ty Domi. Yanked that guy in. He could have throttled that guy. But he showed some pretty good resistance. So, top three athlete meltdowns uh, today on the program. Uh, we will uh, jump back and forth with all of this uh, throughout the show. We'll also have uh, fill in the blank a little bit later on. Uh, But the Major League Baseball playoffs continue today. Uh, I'm I'm watching the replay right now of that uh, Dodgers-Padres game last night. Some weird, weird games uh, yesterday in Major League Baseball. Like some crazy comebacks that we'll touch on in a bit. Uh, But the Yankees lead their series 1-0. The Astros comeback we'll tell you about. Uh, we, We left the show yesterday saying... What kind of comeback do the Astros have in store? Well, one for the ages. The Dodgers lead the Padres 1-0 in the Phillies, as we told you yesterday, surprising uh, the Braves. And they'll try and do it again today. Uh, This game is coming your way in 15 to 20 minutes' time. I, I love playoff baseball. It literally is awesome like day games they're the best this is going to be um an interesting one here for the phillies i mean they won yesterday and then today they have their ace in zach wheeler going uh he was really good against the cardinals in uh the wild card six and a third innings just gave up two hits nowhere in runs struck out four the righty is going to be tough to beat. Like, this could be a really interesting. Uh, now, the Braves are throwing a pretty uh, dominant guy as well. Kyle Wright, 21-5 and five this year. He also was pretty good against the Phillies, 15 strikeouts in 19 contests. The Phillies are going to need Zach Wheeler um, to at least go what he did against the Cardinals. They need him to go at least six because they use six relievers in game one to win the game. Now, you do everything you can to win the game, but they had the big lead and they went through six relievers. Now, a lot of them only pitched one inning, so they could be available again today for a little bit. But they'll need Zach Wheeler to be able to deal today. And in pair of righties going at it, Atlanta had just six hits in eight innings before the two singles and the Matt Chapman ninth inning three-run home run that made it a close game. 
But until then, the Phillies with Zach or uh, uh, with uh, Ranger Suarez and their bullpen, they kept the Braves hitters uh, off check. And Kyle Wright has given up more than two earned runs once in his last nine starts. Now, that once, he gave up eight. So that's what the Phillies are hoping for today. To get the one out of nine Kyle Wright. Not the guy who has given up two earned runs or less in eight of those nine starts. Who you got today? Phillies. Braves, game number two. I gotta think the Braves are gonna tie this up. I, I, I'm betting if I, you know, if I'm putting money down, I'm doing it at BetUS. Go to my uh, link uh, in Twitter at Duck Millard. Go to my bio, click the link in the bio, get your 125 percent bonus. Put some money down on the Braves to even up this series today. It gets underway uh, in um, about 15 minutes 17 minutes time we'll keep you up to date on this game as it goes minute by minute uh, so that's the one national league game it's all national league uh, today uh, later on tonight we will have the padres and the dodgers game number two uh, interesting pitching matchup former teammates uh, for a one brief postseason you darvish Going up against Clayton Kershaw. I don't remember the last time Clayton Kershaw didn't start a series for the Dodgers, but Yulio Arias was uh, really good last night. And the Dodgers, they held off the Padres. Uh, even though the Padres mounted a minor comeback, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even call it much of a comeback. Don't call it a comeback. They've been here for years. It was 5-3, but I didn't ever feel the Dodgers were ever not in control of that game. Darvish, 16-8 and eight in the regular season, uh, was really good against the Mets. Seven innings, six hits, just one earned run, and four strikeouts during the wild card. Clayton Kershaw is at that point in his career where he doesn't care about the wins-loss record because... And if you take him in fantasy, you know he's going to spend at least one stint on the IL. But when he was healthy, when he was pitching this year, he was excellent. He was excellent. 12-3, and three, an ERA, sub-230. And to say, you know, like... Remember Tatis would say, uh, Trevor Bauer would say, yeah, he's my daddy. To use, well, to use that term, Clayton Kershaw is the father of the Friars, the Padres, who are fathers themselves. So would that make Kershaw the grandfather? Against the Padres, yeah, 45 career games, 23-9, and 2.03 ERA. And 310 strikeouts. Huge. That's huge. 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 Man, that is, it's, it's some amazing stuff. And he owns them and will continue to own them in the playoffs. Playoffs? Dynamite! I mean, Kershaw is at that point where if he doesn't get another World Series, 
it would be criminal. Shame. 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 Yeah, break out that shame bell if Kershaw doesn't get another World Series. So he'll look to continue his dominance. Trey Turner, really good in uh, game number one, uh, launched one to the gap off Mike Clevenger. Mike Clevenger, he's always rocking. He's got the long hair. Looks like he should be singing for Metallica. And then he got rocked by the Dodgers. That's all I can think of is this guy should be lead singer of a rock band. Love the look. I'm not saying it's bad. I wish I could do that again. I haven't had hair like that since high school. But Trey Turner, two for four, a long ball, two RBIs, also had the double. A Padres, 0 for 4 with runners in scoring position in game one. And it was their five through nine hitters, the bottom of the order that did all the damage. Six of their seven hits. So obviously they're going to look to to the top of the order to get things going. And Kershaw will try and uh, keep those guys off balance uh, if he can. Again, 45 career games against the Padres. He has been dominant. All right, all right, all right. We'll see if we can continue that. Two games in Major League Baseball today. Uh, The American League shifts back into action tomorrow after that just absolutely wild comeback. Unbelievable. Jordan Alvarez with the walk-off, and he gets credit for that, but with two outs and two strikes, rookie shortstop Jeremy Pena was the guy who kept the Astros' hope alive, slapping a single. That's what kept the drive alive, and it allowed the Astros to avoid a big hole. Now, I think they'd still be okay losing that game because of who they got going today on the mound, but that was wild. We said yesterday, we left the the show, what kind of comeback do they have in store? They had one. Today, they'll look to uh, Luis Castillo, the right-hander, who did pitch in the wild card and is was 1-0 with 23 strikeouts in just over 21 innings versus the Yankees this year. Just one start versus the Yankees since he joined Seattle. And he and the Mariners are absolutely going to have their hands full. This Framber Valdez had 25 straight quality starts from April 25th to September 18th, including two complete games. Now, if you don't know what a quality start is, it's a uh, statistic that's actually used in um, in fantasy baseball actually quite a bit. And a quality start is when a pitcher goes six innings at least and gives up three or less runs. So 25 straight times, Framber Valdez, the quality start king, went at least six innings and gave up three or less runs, and and two of them were complete games. I mean, this guy was a machine this year for Houston. The lefty probably should have got more consideration for the Cy Young and his teammate, Justin Verlander, 
who, by the way, we talked with Eric Grossman yesterday about Dusty Baker sticking with his guy because it's Verlander, and it worked out. He actually kept control, and and they allowed them to stay in the game. That doesn't happen with everybody. That's managing by feel. Not saying, okay, he's, he's faced this many guys, he's getting rocked, let's take him out. No, Verlander buckled down. I think he ended up with like eight strikeouts or something like that and ended up helping the Astros get the victory because he buckled down after that. That's managing by feel. If Houston, and why not? Why wouldn't you not expect six innings? That It'd be awesome for them against the Mariners today. It's going to be difficult. By the way, Jordan Alvarez, game-winning home run, was the first for a team down to its final out since... The great Dodger, Kirk Gibson, in 1988. And the, the hill just gets cl- uh, harder and harder. It's like the mountain just grew another 50 feet for the, for the Mariners. Because yesterday, if they could have stole a win from Houston, they would be feeling so much better. Instead, now they're looking at a record of 7-31 and 31 since 2019. Now, their, their record would have been 8-30. and 30. Not a whole lot better, but at least you would have won one recently. 7-31 and 31 in Houston since 2019. I don't know. I, I Listen, Houston ha- or Seattle had their fun, rightfully so. They, they danced. They enjoyed it. You know, the, uh, what's the Costner line all the time? Cocky and arrogant. Even when you're losing, yeah, that is the, the Mariners are going to be that, and that's fine. I love it. I I think teams should always uh, be as cocky as you get. You're going to get bit for it, but hey, you do you, Mariners, and you know whether it's I I I think karma is something, but I think you got to sell. I don't believe in celebrating like you won a championship when you won one series or even made the playoffs. But you win in an 8-1 fashion to win the series. You dance all you want on the field. They won't be dancing in Houston. They will not be dancing in Houston. Um, I, I think now the Mariners are going to be facing a 2-0 series de- deficit because Framber Valdez is going to be lights out in this game on Thursday. Uh, that goes at 3.37 p.m. Eastern. Uh, the nightcap on Thursday as the American League takes over, 7.37 p.m. Ooh, doggy, this is going to be a fun pitching matchup. The righty versus the lefty, Shane Bieber, gave up just one earned run, striking out eight in seven and two-thirds in the wild card round. Really good in the regular season for the Guardians. Up against Nestor the Destroyer, the left-hander, 12-4, and an ERA sub-250. 14 strikeouts in 12 and a third innings versus Cleveland. In two starts this year. And in uh, game one, the bullpens were great. The Dolphins are also optimistic that Tyree Kill's foot will allow him to play. The question I have is, is it going to matter? Like, I have Tyree Kill in fantasy. I might not start him because Skylar Thompson is the quarterback. Teddy Bridgewater and Tua both in concussion protocol. So I don't know. Oh, I'm seeing this now. The start time between the Braves and the Phillies has been delayed by weather. So we'll see. Um, Obviously, things not great in Hotlanta. Not hot then. 
um, although it could be steamy. So we'll see what happens with this when this one gets underway. Uh, it's a, a Fox broadcast, so you got A-Rod, Poppy, Frank Thomas on the desk talking about it uh, during the uh, rain delay. So anyway, I, I'm not sure if Tyreek Hill is uh, actually that good of an option. We'll ask Andy McNamara. That'll be a question we'll ask Andy tomorrow when we do ask Andy. Uh, JP says, uh, per Braves Twitter, for fans with tickets to today's game, gates will open at 3 p.m. All food and non-alcoholic beverages will be discounted 50% until first pitch. Oh, Big Poppy's playing the weatherman on uh, Fox right now. That's pretty nice. How cool is that? I think it's Atlanta. Uh, the Falcons have some of the most ridiculously cheap concession prices. And now the Braves saying, hey, it's not very nice. We know that. Um, the gates will be open early and come get half price on food. Brilliant move. Get everybody at the game so they don't say, ah, I'm not going to go now. That is smart marketing. And it's a good move. I really wish I would have seen, uh, be able to hear what Big Poppy was doing with the uh, weather. Yeah, and, 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 you know, there are other stadiums in Edmonton. Concessions are really high. That's the owner's prerogative. It's their prerogative, but it is really nice to see that uh, the organization, the Braves doing that, Atlanta letting the fans come in for uh, 50%. So that game is delayed. Uh, perfect. Gives us uh, some time to chat about running backs for week six and the top running backs heading into week six. Look at that guy, Saquon Barkley. He was number two last week, now projected to take on the Baltimore Ravens and put up almost 29 points. This is half PPR, uh, by the way. So Barkley, is he the best? Is he the number one running back in the NFL right now? In daily fantasy, are you going with Saquon Barkley this week over Nick Chubb, who has been pretty much all season the number one running back? So Barkley will take on a Baltimore team that obviously the the uh, lion's share of the attention goes to Lamar Jackson. But this used to be a team that was built on defense. 70 yards and a touchdown. And he also, Barkley, caught six targets for 36 yards. The Ravens allowing 15, almost 15 and a half fantasy points per game to running backs. So that's a little bit lower than what he is projected but Saquon Barkley is on a roll. 78 yards in week five. Coming off a dip where he had only 49, but he's had two games in the 70s, one in the 60s, one in the 50s, one just below 50. He only has one rushing touchdown. Oh, sorry, no, I'm... I'm uh, reading those. These are the running backs. I apologize. These are the running backs against Baltimore this year. Only one rushing touchdown. Against those odds, I think Saquon bucks the trend, and I think he will be 
uh, a, a positive start and be able to get you close to 20 points. It is a good matchup for Barkley. That's what I'm going to tell you. Nick Chubb, number two, taking on New England. Just over 17 points. The Patriots are allowing less than 14 points per game to running backs. And they have yet to give up a touchdown to anybody this year, and including holding Chase Edmonds to 25 yards and Najee Harris to less than 50 yards. Aaron Jones of Green Bay is the only running back to score 100 yards. So it's not the greatest matchup for Nick Chubb, but it's Nick Chubb. And, you know, you're not benching him. Austin Eckler, Denver is a good matchup. Just over 16 points. Denver giving up just about 15 points to running backs this year. And only Josh Jacobs has scored a touchdown, but he did score two against Denver in week number four. Deion Jackson last week had only 62 yards, but did have 29 yards in the air. So I, I think you're, I think Austin Eckler for week six, I think you're going to get over 60 yards and I think you can get 40 yards receiving. And I think Austin Eckler finds the uh, end zone this week in fantasy football. How about Christian McCaffrey against the Rams uh, projecting him to have a positive day. Now, the interesting thing about this is the Buffalo Bills are seemingly going hard after a trade. The Panthers have fired Matt Rule and they only have four draft picks next year. He's played 85% of the snaps. So we're in week six. Christian McCaffrey, I think, is um, starting to shed, at least this year, the always injured. Now, he hasn't been always productive this year. He's only had two games where he's put up 100 yards. He did, though, the thing that I really like, have 81 yards receiving in week four and 50 yards receiving in week number five. That's what makes this guy dangerous. Obviously, he's a talented runner, but what he can also do out of the backfield. So this is why I think that Christian McCaffrey, if you bought low, you're happy. I would not have been selling, just like I said, don't sell low on Josh Jacobs. The Rams aren't a great matchup. They're pretty good against the run. They're only allowing uh, twelve and just over 12.5 fantasy points this year against running backs. They have given up a touchdown to a running back in the last two weeks, one each to Jeff Wilson and Tony Pollard. So maybe there's a little crack uh, going on there, and you can see Christian McCaffrey. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Christian McCaffrey is probably going to score at least one touchdown this weekend, maybe two. And Leonard Fournette, Sneaking into the top five 
with a matchup against Pittsburgh, who just got uh, torn up last week. And the Steelers are giving up 18.5 fantasy points. The Steelers have given up a touchdown in every game except the first game. Now, they've only given up 100 yards once, but they are giving up rushing touchdowns. So Leonard Fournette should be able to reach the end zone this weekend. Even though uh, Leonard Fournette hasn't exactly uh, been stellar, You know, when you come up with a negative three-yard game on three carries, you know it hasn't been a great year. He did have a good week in the opening week, 127 yards. Now, again, I will look at Leonard Fournette in the last couple of weeks and say when he had negative three rushing yards, he did have 57 yards and a touchdown in the air. And last week, he had 83 yards and a touchdown in the air. So this is why Leonard Fournette, like Christian McCaffrey, sneaking into that top five because he's dual threat. Uh, Other guys that didn't make the list, but that will um, be able to contribute this week, uh, Jonathan Taylor versus Jacksonville. That's a good matchup, uh, just under 15 points. Ramondre Stevenson against Cleveland. This is a great matchup for uh, Ramondre Stevenson. The Browns are allowing almost 25 fantasy points per game to running backs. That's insane. So we'll see if Ramondre Stevenson can continue to be uh, the darling so far of uh, the waiver wire. Pretty impressive stuff. Uh, when it comes to running backs. So those are the top five running backs when it comes to week number six. Saquon Barkley, uh, I think he's going to stay around that top uh, all all season long. Uh, JP says, Mostert looks like a decent play this week. Um, oh, wrong, uh, wrong page. Yeah, what do we got? Where we got Raheem? Jeez, he's way down the list. He's he's the 21st-ranked running back. It is a good matchup uh, against Minnesota, but he is the 21st running back. Now, the Vikings give up a lot on the ground. Um, When you you look at uh, touchdowns, they're averaging at least a touchdown a game. Apologize, I had to sneeze. Uh, they're not giving up the most yards, the Vikings aren't, but they are giving up a boatload of touchdowns. Five touchdowns through five weeks. Uh, so you're right, Raheem Mostart could be a, a really uh, good start this week against the Minnesota Vikings. All right, let's check out uh, some receivers. Uh, for this week in the National Football League. Again, uh, these are half uh, PPR numbers and projections. And this list uh, is is pretty predictable. Like if you would have said to me 
these are going to be the top five receivers uh, five weeks into the season. I'd have been like, yeah, that that looks pretty good. I don't know. It's, are you going to argue with uh, a whole lot on this list? Carolina is a good matchup for uh, Cooper Cup and the Rams this week. He has been in the top six in four of five of his games, and uh, the Panthers' D is 14th ranked in the NFL uh, when it comes to defending wide receivers, giving up an average of 19.6 points per game, and Cooper Cup projected to get just under that at 18.9 points. Only one receiver, Chris Olave, who's a stud, has gone over 100 yards, and only two touchdowns given up by Carolina, but this is a team that is absolutely reeling right now, and there's no reason to think uh, that Cup, other than the fact that their quarterback is turning the ball over a lot, isn't going to feast. He's still going to get plenty of targets this week. And then you've got Stefan Diggs against uh, KC. 16.9 points projected uh, against a Kansas City team that is giving up a lot. Like you're you're getting, if your receiver is playing Kansas City, even if you have a number two, a number three guy, it's worth it. 25 fantasy points a game. That's wild. The league average is 22.3. Three guys, Mike Williams, Mike Evans, and Devontae Adams have gone over 100 yards. Adams had a pair. Evans had a pair. They're giving up more than a touchdown per game. I, I might even have Stefan Diggs as the number one guy just based on the matchup this week. Diggs has had 300-yard games this year, one three-touchdown game where he had 32.8 points and coming off uh, week five where he had 16.2 points. Justin Jefferson, I'm reading this as a bad matchup, but it's still Justin Jefferson. Now, yeah, the Dolphins... They're, they're, they're allowing 24.6 fantasy points per game. That is above the league average. I don't know why they are referring to this as a bad matchup. Two guys have gone over 124, 100 yards, rather, three touchdowns in five games. I I don't think that, uh, I don't understand that logic. Uh, Jamar Chase projected to have just over 15 points, and it's an average matchup against the uh, New, England, or New Orleans Saints. But Chase still projected to get over 85 yards. I think he picks up a touchdown. Just over 24 points per game the Saints are giving up. And uh, Jamar Chase starting to heat up a little bit. Coming off a a night where he had 22.4 points. 
or sorry, that's Tyler Lockett. Uh, this is, is, is heating up against this Saints defense. They've given up back-to-back 100-yard games to two receivers and Justin Jefferson and Tyler Lockett, including two touchdowns to Tyler Lockett. And Jamar Chase is actually going the other way. Started off big with a 129-yard game and a touchdown. Has not reached the end zone since week three. And only caught seven of 12 for 50 yards last week against Baltimore. So I, I, I might not, you know, there's some other capable receivers out there. If you're playing daily fantasy that you might want to look at other than Jamar Chase and, and Mike Evans, that's a good matchup against Pittsburgh. Uh, we told you about uh, Leonard Fournette's matchup against Pittsburgh, 34.2.2 fantasy points on average the Steelers are giving up to wide receivers. Shame. 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 That's embarrassing. Run. Do not walk. Run to start Mike Evans in every fantasy format that you have. Gabe Davis just torched them for 171 yards. Three, four receivers out of five games have gone over 100 yards. So Mike Evans might actually be the number one receiver. He might come out of this week as our as wide receiver number one against because of this matchup. It's absolutely incredible how, how much Mike Evans might torch or Leonard Fournette or Tom Brady. And we don't have quarterbacks, but with that matchup, you will definitely, you know, and I haven't been the biggest Brady fan this year. I thought there's been, um, you know, some mediocre and obviously some sad performances. And I said he's not going to finish top five. This week, he, he could be the number one quarterback because that Pittsburgh defense is going to get eaten up in a big, big way. All right, uh, we are still in a rain delay. Um... When it comes to Major League Baseball, the Phillies and the Braves were supposed to start at 4.35 uh, Eastern time, which is uh, just about a half hour ago. But this one has been uh, pushed back. I don't know when it is going to start. Unfortunately, I don't have the, the volume on. Uh, just says it is in a uh, weather delay. So if anybody does know, if you are watching and you're and you're and you know when the game is going to uh, get back in action, please drop it in the Twitch chat, and we can get it out of there. Uh, get it out there. But um, this is the matchups today. It's an all National League day. If we if we get the matchup in in Atlanta, uh, Philadelphia versus Atlanta, the Braves uh, leading that series one nothing. Or the Phillies, sorry, leading that series one nothing, and the Dodgers lead the series against the Padres one nothing, and that one uh, is uh, slated to get underway tonight at eight thirty seven p.m. Wow, what a night it's going to be! The Oilers playing at eight p.m. Uh, six or seven games on in the NHL. Uh, we'll have two later baseball games now because uh, the start time being pushed back, and you got Clayton Kershaw and you Darvish. This is going to be awesome. I, you know, the Dodgers, they looked like uh, all business yesterday. Did not look rusty, in my opinion, at all. Uh, so, uh, we've got baseball tonight. Uh, we got football 
again, tomorrow night, football is back. If you want to bet on any of the games that we have talked about, hit us up. Go to my uh, Twitter account, at Duck Millard. Click the link in my bio, at Duck Millard, and get your 125% bonus Bet on anything. Throw something down on the games tonight in baseball. Throw something down on hockey. Wait for the Thursday nighter. Anything. Uh, throw it down. Get 125% bonus when you use the link in my bio. By the way, JP says from Braves Twitter, weather update. There will be another weather call around 6 p.m., but current forecast suggests starting the game around 7.30 to 7.45. We will continue to update as we hear. Thank you so much, JP, uh, for helping us out here on the show and chiming in with that notification. So there you go. You have two night games in baseball, a whole whack of hockey games. Uh, man, this is going to be uh, an absolutely brilliant, brilliant night. Uh, okay, one more note uh, before I uh, take a quick break and we bring in Tom Gazzola. Holy mackerel, we've been going for the whole hour here. Uh, the NBA gets going uh, next Tuesday. And that's when, um, you know, Scott, uh, Scott Hansen calls it the witching hour on Sundays when all the kind of the games are going. I call the witching hour next Tuesday when, well, I guess it'll be Thursday, uh, when all four North American sports will be going at the same time. But what is also going to happen tomorrow is Draymond Green is going to hook up with the Golden State Warriors again. He had been away from the team after he punched, and I'll call it a sucker punch because you don't expect your teammate to do that. I said teammate. I don't know if Draymond Green should be a teammate of Jordan Poole or anybody for the next little while of the Golden State Warriors. He was fined. They talked about the suspension, but he is coming back to the team tomorrow. Shame. 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 Here's how many games Draymond Green would be playing for me if I was coaching the Golden State Warriors in at least the first month. Zero. Point zero. That was terrible. That was chicken bleep. And we, we don't uh, we don't swear on this show because we, we like to keep it clean, okay? That's what we like to do. We like to keep it clean. What are we? We're we, 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 not swearing. But it was, it was a chicken bleep move uh, to punch his teammate. And I'd I, I suspend him. Now, I don't know if they could afford to suspend him, but that goes to show you. If it wasn't Draymond Green, the guy would probably be kicked off the team. Brutal. Absolutely brutal. All right, uh, we are going to get into some hockey talk even more in this next segment. Tom Gazzola of TSN 1260, uh, also a, a contributor to NHL.com and TSN, is going to join us. So we're going to chat about the Pacific Division. Uh, can the Canucks knock out one of those three teams? Can the Pacific Division get more than three teams in the playoffs, or is it going to be a five division central playoffs or five uh, playoff teams from the central division once again? That's what I think it's going to be. And if that's the case, who are the three teams from the, the Pacific? Maybe two of them are on the ice tonight in Edmonton. We'll talk with Tom about that when we come back. But in the meantime, enjoy mascots dominating children at the intermission.
up of the child uh, that they just knocked out. Like, I don't have kids, so I can laugh at that stuff. Uh, I think that's hilarious. Probably if I've had kids, I might not think it was so funny. Uh, I, I've been a mascot briefly uh, one time when I was at RDTV. Uh, I did a mascot thing. Never again would I put a mascot suit on. It's it's not fun. All the all the credit in the world to those mascots because they they take abuse. Like they they take abuse, and they're people too, just like kickers. Just like kickers are people. Mascots are people too. All right, Tom Gazzola is joining us now. He is uh, of TSN twelve sixty TSN, and of course NHL dot com. And man, it's a it's a big one tonight, Tom. We got the Oilers and the Canucks, and you know I, I wonder if this is a Canucks team that that you see being able to you know unseat somebody and make the playoffs. Uh, Bruce Boudreau. Took them very close last year. Do you see this Canucks team being able to unseat somebody in the Pacific? First of all, do you think there'll be th- more than three teams in the playoffs for the Pacific? And do you think the Canucks can be one of them? Uh, Dino, uh, first of all, welcome to my bedroom. Uh, the Jason Greger show is happening in my living room. So uh, <laughs> Jason Strudwick ruled in and I've been, I've been relegated to my own room. So I apologize. <laughs> Struddy kicked you out? Like, why isn't Struddy in the bedroom? Well, Struddy and Gregor, Gregor's already doing his show. He's an hour in. Struddy just got here. They're both there. They're both there. So I'm just like, I stuck it to my own room and I'm here doing the show. So I wouldn't miss it for the world. And and here we are. So anyway, to to get to your question, um, I think the Canucks are in tough, to be honest with you in this Pacific division, because I don't think they're getting past Edmonton. I don't think they're getting past Calgary. I think that the, the LA Kings are going to have another solid year. I think that that might be an upstart team in the Pacific. And then the Vegas Golden Knights, if they get some goaltending, they could be in the mix as well. And Vancouver, uh, they do have some really nice pieces. They truly do. If Felias Pedersen is having a great season, if Brock Besser with his hand injury and the surgery he had, if he – heals up and he's good to go. He's going to be good to go tonight against the Oilers. If he has a good season and Horvat is solid as he usually is, and JT Miller can be a hundred point guy or somewhere around there again, that might put them close, especially if they're getting the goaltending from Demko, but they're going to have to clean up their penalty kill, which was almost historically bad last season, finished 29th. Uh, and then they're going to need a lot of power plays, which was really good in the top 10 for them last year. They're the type of team that's going to have to muck and grind games to to win, and I think they might get into some trouble because of their back end, especially if you're missing guys like Tyler Myers, who isn't going to play tonight. I I think this is a team that, you know, probably is excited about the season, and and there's hype around Bruce Boudreau and a lot of elements to like, but I I don't know. I look at the roster and I go, this this might be a team that – is closer to being the, on the cusp of making the postseason, but not quite getting there. And I still think LA is a better team, Edmonton, Calgary, and maybe even the Vegas Golden Knights. So the Canucks would probably be the cutoff point of of a team like Anaheim, San Jose. I think all those teams are just rebuilding, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Obviously, Arizona be bad for Bedard. So do you think? Like I, I think this is the Central Division's five. Um, I don't know if it'll be the same five in, in the past, but like I think uh, the something really bad has to happen in the Central for them not to get five in. I, I think it's the toughest, hardest division, and I think the Cup's going to go through there again this year it very well could I mean Minnesota looks like they've they've regrouped just nicely I know that there was some cap issues that Bill Guerin and his crew needed to deal with and 
I think they got through it okay. Uh, the Blues, there's no reason to believe that they're not going to be half decent again. And, and the Avs are the Avs, obviously. And uh, Nashville and Dallas seem to have a decent thing going. Although I found it interesting that Dallas decided to make a coaching change. Same with the Golden Knights. I guess you can make that argument as well. But yeah, if you're in the Central Division, you have to like your chances of making the postseason. Uh, maybe another team in the Pacific will sneak in there. And and I'm, I think... Just really quickly, Dino, to go back to the Pacific, I think the Seattle Kraken might actually be better than San Jose and Anaheim this mm. year. They have a little bit more balance, it seems like. And, and you don't look at that roster and go, boy, that guy's a superstar, that guy's a superstar. But you go through it and you're like, that's a good team. There's good NHL players like on all four lines and all three deep pairings. The goaltending may be a little suspect, but I think the Kraken are going to surprise a few people, not to the point where they're pushing for a playoff spot, but – yeah, you're right. The Central Division, probably it's going to have four, maybe all five uh, or five teams cracking the postseason. But I think uh, a team like Vegas and, uh, might have a say about that from the Pacific side of things. Well, with to your Seattle point, they they certainly played a much more button down defensive style, and you're building down the middle. You, you know, you're you're going to have uh, uh, who's the the Shane Wright, sorry, and Matty Beneers. Yep. Uh, so you've got yep. real strength down the middle. You've got some veterans there. So actually, I like that. I like Seattle surpassing uh, San Jose. Maybe and Anaheim is kind of on the rise, but still not there yet. When you look at Vegas, yep. you know, I, 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 the reason they made that coaching change, I, I fully think, is because they looked at their goaltending situation and said, Robin Leonard is going to be out for the year. We need a defensively minded coach, and that's what Bruce Cassidy was. So they bring him in, and it look look at last night. They allowed seven shots in the third period. They gave out thirty in total, but they put fifty one on net and only seven in the third period to to win the game. That's what Bruce Cassidy is going to do. Logan Thompson, Laurent Brassois, whoever is going to be there is going to get help yep. from from the system. And you know that that I look at Seattle and Vegas, their improvements will be from from the back end in my opinion yeah Dino ironically enough it was LA system that kind of vaulted them into where they got to last season as well right. so maybe you know stealing a page from their book Bruce Cassidy is and let's see how it goes with the Golden Knights I mean a bit of a fall from grace from last season but they do have a, a few pieces that you look at and you go geez that's a hell of a player uh, you could start with Eichel you could go to Mark Stone uh, you look at the back end with Alec Martinez and Petrangelo and Shea Theodore, like all of the elements are there. And even the secondary scores, Marcia So coming off a 30 goal season. Uh, you know, we've seen William Carlson, you know, light it up offensively, albeit a few years ago. But like there are nice pieces there. Riley Smith is another one that this Golden Knights team in theory should be good. But you alluded to it. If the goaltending isn't there to make the saves, if it's seven in a period in the third, or if they get caved in because another team's, I don't know, taking advantage of them, or they let in some bad goals because you can overcome bad goaltending. And I think it's fair to say, we saw it here in Edmonton for a few years where people looked at the tandem of Miko Koskinen and Mike Smith and would say, that's the 30th, 31st, 32nd right. ranked goaltending tandem. And they made the postseason three years in a row going to a conference final. So there is a precedent there, absolutely. And whichever goalie between Brassois uh, Thompson and even Aiden Hill, who's in the mix now, takes the mm. the bull by the horns and runs with it. Then maybe they could put something together and even climb up into that top three in the Pacific if another team falters. 
So let's talk a little bit about the Oilers home opener tonight against uh, the Canucks, who we just talked about. Um, I I look at this like what a start to the schedule. I mean, just handed to them on a platter. And you worked with this team on enough seasons where you guys had bizarre starts. You start out east. I mean, the six home games, the six uh, home stand right to start the year is 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 excellent. And I think nine of twelve or something. It's a really good start uh, to the season. Um, and you talked about goaltending. I think Jack Campbell has a chance to be a top 10 goaltender this year because he's going to get a lot of wins. Like, I, I was looking at it yeah. through the schedule. I think the Oilers can win 51 games this year. I think that's a, a, a target. And I think Campbell, like a Darcy Kemper in Colorado, can be a top 10 goaltender based on the team. Um, is that – do you look at um, – obviously, it's the biggest change in, in the, in the offseason, but – Maybe somebody that people aren't thinking about uh, on the Edmonton Oilers right now. It could be Jack Campbell, but everybody talks about Dreisaitl, McDavid, uh, all those guys. Who is somebody that maybe didn't get enough credit or you're looking at maybe having a bigger year than some people are projecting on this Edmonton Oilers team? Yeah, for like a, a dark horse or a sleeper pick guy to watch, I mean, I think it would be easy to say Evan Bouchard because of the type of year he had, but he kind of fought flies under the radar and, and falls down uh, the wayside when it comes to the pecking order for this group. So it's his sophomore year. He's interesting because Dino, like, is he going to follow up last year, which was his first true full national hockey league season with an even better year, or will he have the quote unquote sophomore jinx and, and, and take a step back and we'll see because he's going to start with Ryan Murray in the third pairing. And I think that's the Oilers kind of easing him, back into the year and, and not putting too much on his plate uh, right out of the gates and, and putting a guy like Tyson Berry into that second pairing with Brett Kulak. And listen, Jay Woodcroft, Dave Manson, if they see something that's not working, they're pretty quick to switch it up. So this might only be a, a couple games thing or, or might be a thing that extends into a couple months. So it's up to the player to dictate that. And then another guy to really keep an eye on uh, that I think will quietly responsibly put together a good season is Ryan McLeod. There's a, a lot of intrigue there because, you know, people see his speed, his ability to transport the puck, especially through the neutral zone. He's going to get penalty kill time. He takes face-offs. Him and Ryan Nugent Hopkins are going to split face-off duties on that third line with Warren Fogle, at least to start out the season. And I think he's a guy who could solidify himself as a really good third line player that that gives you a little bit of offensive punch when when you need it in a in a game where you know maybe McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't giving you what you need and you need a big goal at a timely point in the game and Ryan McLeod could be a guy who elevates to that type of player that just at the right moment he could take advantage because he's skilled enough he's got the hockey IQ and maybe he feels comfortable enough in his position on the team as a guy that's not necessarily counted on to contribute all the heavy points that he could chip in with a few and put together a really nice year. Uh, what do you think about, uh, you know, you've, you've been a part of uh, this, this Oilers team and they used to have a really cool show oil change. What do you think of Oilers plus 
that's coming out. I, I love any kind of behind-the-scenes access. I think it's great. I thought NFL Films was the king of that, taking us down on the field in the very beginning. So I love any kind of behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, you got to live behind the scenes with the Oilers, but what do you think of Oilers Plus, and what do you think it'll be like for Oilers fans? Do you think it'll be like oil change? I do think it'll be like oil change. Obviously, it's going to be guarded the same way oil change was <laughs> in terms of what information you get. Now, where I think it will give you more access to is like the true behind the scenes day to day, not necessarily like the the drama or the the chatter or the the issues that the team are dealing with. But if you want to see like what it's like day to day in and around the team, yeah. not on the the types of interviews that we would do in media and, and, you know, in the locker room and stuff like that. That's where I think that these guys are going to have their advantage and you could just get a little taste and, and get an idea of the, the, the way the room works and all of that, but they're not going to necessarily take you into those deep diving conversations like an oil change used to do and all the other documentaries and series that we've watched over the years, because I think people, I don't know. I feels like people are kind of over that type of show, but they still want to see and get a glimpse of what it's like. And, and that's where I think this, this Oilers plus and the drop as they're calling it will give you a sense of like, what's it like in the room right after a win and, and like, what are the hallways like? Who's high-fiving who? And I mm -hmm. think you'll see more of those types of sequences where the camera follows a certain guy. And uh, that's, that's my sense of it, at least watching the guys doing uh, the behind-the-scenes shooting for this. Um, and plus, you know, uh, Oil Change was a Don Metz, yep. uh, Mike Bealey production, and, and there was a certain style to it, which was fantastic, highly, highly well-regarded. And... Um, the, this is a different crew entirety entirely so i think you're going to see a different style from it as well yeah i remember my my wife trish worked with uh, dawn so i remember the uh you know not, not that she was telling me what was left out but it's just like yeah there's going to be a lot of stuff that's not going to make it in because no team is going to yeah. air their dirty laundry in the in their own production yeah. but you're right it is a really cool thing to to give you like what are, what is a road trip like what do, what do they do on the road like different things or the how do the equipment guys get it all done and uh, i think you know a lot of people don't know about the cooperation between the home and visiting teams when it comes to all that yep. stuff you know you might be bitter rivals between the Flames and the Oilers, but you work together when you get to the rink to get a lot of that stuff, son. So I I'm interested in all that stuff. I think it'll be uh, really cool. You're, like, you're not going to get um, Ryan Nugent Hawkins standing up and complaining because he's on the third line. You're, you know, you're going to get kind of the, the fun, fluffy stuff, which is interesting that yeah. Ryan Nugent Hopkins is on the third line. I'd like to stand up and complain because I don't really like it, but you've got and the two biggest stories out of training camp. Yessi Pugliarvi and Dylan Holloway, and they both make the top six according uh, to the line rushes today. And this is without uh, Kylo Yamamoto, so so that throws a wrench into things whenever that does happen. But your thoughts on these two guys, A, still being with the team, and where they are and playing with who they're playing with tonight? Well, let's, let's start with uh, the lightning rod of controversy, Yessi Pugliarvi. I'm Dino, I'm frankly surprised he's still on the roster, and I think it's more so... Uh, tell to where the league is and what the actual ask for Yessi Pugliarvi is. Not a lot of teams are calling the Oilers about him. There's not a lot of interest for Yessi Pugliarvi. They don't regard him the same way as the heavy analytics-based crew and, and fans uh, view and 
appreciate Jesse Pugliarvi. So there was only a handful of teams that called on him and the offers weren't great. But I am still a little bit surprised he's here. Now, the fact that he's on the top line, I think it is just directly related to the fact that Kyler Yamamoto is a little bit nicked up. He might be good to go by Saturday, by the way. And so it's an opportunity for Yessi to either drive up his stock or just get his confidence back, contribute to the team, prove everyone he can be a bona fide top six NHLer. What a better opportunity. What better uh, opportunity than this than to play with Evander Kane and, and Connor McDavid. So he may as well take advantage of it. Um, as for Ryan Nugent Hopkins, he's still going to touch all elements of the game. He's going to be on power play one. He's probably going to get all of his minutes five on five. He has a good tandem with Zach Hyman on the PK. And so I think with him, it's more of the all around game. His faceoffs still aren't particularly great, but uh, I think when, and if the Oilers are in a crunch for a goal or two, we'll see, we'll still see Nugent Hopkins get bumped up to, you know, on the ice in the last couple of minutes of the game, he's still going to be around 18 to 20 minutes. So I don't think it's that big of a deal. Still kind of fluid with this lineup. And uh, the fact that he's penciling at the three center slot, I think he's okay with and won't make a big stink. But as you know, Dino, here in our market, there are people that look at that and can't get over the fact that he's in three center and that shouldn't be the case for a guy making over $5 million a year. Yeah, and you know, it, it, when you talk about face-offs, like if Ryan Nugent Hopkins could get stronger at face-off with the minutes he plays, he would have, he would start getting some selkie, uh, some selkie talk because he does play harder minutes, but it's the, the face-offs yeah. that, that probably hold him back. It's so interesting, and you mentioned kind of the market, and I look at it on Twitter, and, you know, you've got two guys. They're both in the top six in Pugliarvi and Holloway, and there couldn't be a more different outlook from portions of the fan base on two guys. Like, one guy is the guy on the way up, the young guy. The other guy is on his way out. They're not that much different in age, really, uh, in experience they are. But the outlook with the two guys is so vastly different. And that's, that's it's wild, the paradox between them. Very fair. But you, you look at their games, and they're different types of players. Like, mm -hmm. Holloway skates well with the puck. He makes the little plays not just in the offensive zone. He's not just creating havoc in the offensive zone the same way Jesse Pugliarvi is able to do with his big frame. But, but it's those little subtle plays that Holloway makes. It's confidence when transporting the puck. It's finding that open man in the offensive zone. He seems to have more confidence and a better knack at that than Jesse Pugliarvi. Jesse Pugliarvi's game can be somewhat haphazard at times. Uh, he goes to the right areas of the ice and he puts himself into the right positions either to, you know, screen a goalie, maybe get a deflection goal or bang home some loose change. But there's times where he gets set up for a one-timer and it goes through his legs. And, and unfortunately, we've seen that time and time again. And, and that's probably, you know, why there's that thought on, on the confidence level in, in uh, a Pugliarvi compared to that in a Dylan Holloway who – you watch and you look at his game and you go, yeah, I can see what that guy's doing. He's putting together something pretty good there. Watch him go and rise. And then the other guy you look at and you go, geez, you know, like he did three out of four things right, but it's that last thing he just totally messed up. And, and that's kind of what the Esipoliarvi's detriment has been over the last, I don't know, let's say eight months, nine months. You know what it's like? It's like Ron Hextall used to give up one bad goal a game. 
you know, he'd make a lot of great saves, but he would give up, uh, you know, and, and there's a lot of goalies that are like that. And sometimes yeah. that's all you focus on is, well, it was the bad goal. And, you know, if it's the winning goal, for sure. Uh, but it is interesting. All right, I'll just wrap up. What a day of baseball yesterday. They're in a rain delay right now, so we're not playing. And they're showing the replay of the Jordan Alvarez. You know, I look at the, like, that home run was awesome. But the, the two-out, two-strike single by Jeremy Pena, that's a little bloop single to, to keep the drive alive. And that's what's so cool about baseball is that it changes. I mean, what was your favorite part about yesterday of everything that happened? Uh, the walk-offs are always exciting. Uh, if I said the suffering that the Mariners fans went through, Dino, would that be like too harsh? Because no. I mean, the, the glory of what they did to Toronto in Toronto after being down eight, one, I, I was watching that game, seeing the lead slowly evaporate and the Mariners just start to take over and then they get a dose of their own medicine, uh, on the walk-off. But you know what? I, I'm sure they'll bounce back. Uh, but I think that that whole paradox and ironic kind of twist is is the one you look at and you go, that's what's special about baseball in October is is the magic that it creates. And uh, good on the Dodgers against the the Padres last night, uh, mm-hmm. the rain coming down late in the game. Like, I feel like that's going to be an interesting series to keep an eye on as well. Yeah, we'll see tonight. Uh, Kershaw going against the Padres tonight. He owns them. Like 45 yep. appearances, 23 and 9, 310 strikeouts. But they hit lefties really well. Not last night, but but they do. So I think that is going to – I'm a Dodgers fan, and they scare me a little bit just because they have Juan Soto, and that guy could just, you know, yep. flip the switch at, at any point, and they do have uh, some good pitching. But it'll be interesting when they get going today, National League today, American League tomorrow, and lots of hockey tonight, Tom. It'll be so fun to follow the season. Uh, next time I see you, by the way, uh, I've got some uh, juicy GCs for you for Acme Meat Market in the Ritchie area. Best butcher shop in Edmonton let me tell you I had some ribeyes uh, from Corey Meyer the other day and they were so good we got our turkey from there so I'm gonna I'm gonna you know I I want you to be able to eat so I'm gonna give you gift cards <laughs> for some beautiful steaks or whatever you want uh, for joining the show with me all the time I really appreciate it enjoy the game tonight Dino always a pleasure and I'm looking forward to that meat buddy I'm a carnivore through and through all right. Take care. There is uh, Tom Gazzola. Uh, he'll have the pre and the post game show tonight on TSN 1260. Oilers, Canucks. Uh, I'm guessing it's a 90 or a 60 minute. It used to be a 90 minute when they were 8 o'clock games. But then after the game, throw it right on there. Get your thoughts on with Tom. Uh, he's probably much more gentle with the listeners than I ever was. Uh, which is why he is probably still there, <laughs> and I am not. But what a night tonight. Anyway, we'll continue on with this. These are the top goaltenders from last year, uh, based on having a minimum of 50 starts. By the way, Garrett Perkins says he thinks Zach Hyman will have a huge season after last year's playoffs. I, I believe in Zach Hyman. I think that was a, a good signing by the Oilers. Um, hopefully it leads them to a Stanley Cup at some point, um, because the back end of that contract is going to be hard to eat. But last year, um, Igor Shosturkin uh, came out with the uh, best save percentage, uh, the lowest goals against average, and uh, started 52 games. That's why he's on top. Ilya Sorokin will not be there, uh, I don't think, for the Islanders. Uh, could have some decent numbers. I think Freddie Anderson's going to be having a big year. Uh, Jakob Markstrom, 63 starts last year. That number probably is going to come down. Look at that goals against average. 
222 and 9.22 save percentage in 63 starts. That's impressive. Uh, Darcy Kemper benefits from a really good team. Hopefully he does this year for fantasy fans like me in Washington. Tristan Jari, I've been a fan of. Covered him in junior. Uh, just has the perfect attitude and mindset to be a goaltender. UC Saros of Nashville, 67 games. Winning 38 of them. Thing is, when you start, like, look at Jakob Markstrom. 63 games, 37 wins, only 15 losses. UC Saro starts 67 and loses 25 games. The uh, peripheral numbers dip, too. The goals against average and the save percentage. And Andre Vasilevsky, um, he has been kind of the king. You know, it's, it's hard to argue uh, that Andre Vasilevsky is not uh, the best goaltender in the NHL over the the number of years. I I think he most definitely is the best goaltender over the last number of years. It's not going to be this year. I think a lot of Tampa takes a step back, except for Kucherov and Point. Demko and Bobrovsky also in the top 10 last year. Sergei Bobrovsky winning almost 39 games. So here are my projections for this year. And uh, you're going to see a few different names uh, than you did on the uh, top 10 list with uh, that, that we just displayed from last year. The, the top guy is the same, and I've, I've made no secrets about this. I think uh, Igor Shosturkin is going to win the Vesna this year. I think the Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup. 55 games uh, is what I have them starting, and I have them winning 40. Sparkling 211 goals against average and a 940 save percentage. Now, a while back, when I was doing the Pipeline show, Gee Flaming and I came up with sort of a system uh, for, you know, comparing a goaltender's accomplishment with a forward's. And basically, we say if you have a 940 save percentage, it's like a 50-goal season. So I'm giving Igor a 50-goal season uh, for a goaltender, 941 save percentage. Right behind him, Freddie Anderson in Carolina. It's going to be a fun team to watch. I think they could battle um, the team that I think is going to win the Cup, the Rangers, uh, in the conference final. Again, I think Tampa takes a step back, so we'll see. Uh, Yeah, Freddie Anderson, 39 wins, good numbers again for Carolina. Jakob Markstrom, this is where I said I don't think he can play – 63 games again. So I got him down to 56, which is a healthy number for a starting goaltender. You should spend at least 50 games, if not more, in net to be a number one goaltender. That's why we set the limit, minimum 50 starts. Uh, 33 wins for Markstrom. Good numbers for goals against average and a save percentage above 920. Thatcher Demko, they're going to ride this guy as much as they can. 64 starts for Demko. Still, I think he has a great season. We'll get some consideration for the Vesna with a save percentage around 920, playing that many games. Tristan Jari, again, Pittsburgh, 31 wins. Uh, perennial playoff team, 265, 918. Pretty decent numbers. You, you take those in fantasy. Uh, UC Saros uh, will have another heavy workload. Uh, not quite as many games, but still. Uh, you, you play that many, you start losing games, but still good numbers of uh, save percentage over 922, I think. Andre Vasilevsky, and while I still think Tampa Bay is going to falter, they're not going to fall off a cliff, and Vasilevsky's still a top-10 goaltender. 
Uh, Darcy Kemper gets into the top 10 again because he's with another good team, although that goes against me saying Peter Laviolette will be the first coach fired. I hope it doesn't happen because uh, I need Darcy Kemper to carry me in fantasy this year. Uh, Marc-Andre Fleury of Minnesota and Jack Campbell, uh, who I just talked about with uh, Tom Gazzola, sneaking into my top 10 uh, when it comes to goaltenders. I think Minnesota and Fleury will be a playoff team in the Central. And I think Marc-Andre Fleury, uh, you know, looks, you know, with these projections, looks like he can play for a few more years. And Jack Campbell, the reason he's number 10 is I'm hoping he gets to 51 games, but he played a career-high 47 in Toronto last year. So he's never played at least 50 games. If he can get there, I think the Oilers are going to win enough games that he can sneak into this top 10 for sure. What do you think of my rankings for the top 10 goalies 2022-2023? Just trying to think of who didn't make my list. Sergei Bobrovsky didn't make the list. And Ilya Sorokin, the guy who was number two last year, did not make my list of top 10 goalies last year based on a minimum of 50 starts. By the way, if you want to make a bet on any of the big games this year on the ice, head to BetUS and bet responsibly with my 125% bonus to use on any sport. Use the link in my bio, at Duck Millard, and when you make a deposit, you will receive a 125% bonus. Bet on hockey, whatever you want. Football, basketball, the Thursday nighter. Please let us have a better Thursday nighter than we did last week. Please let us have a better one. I don't think so. Commanders and the Bears. I, you know, sometimes two negatives make a positive and you get a good contest. Brian Robinson Jr. would be fun to watch. So anyway, if you want to make a bet on any kind of hockey action, BetUS is the place to be. Check it out. Use my 125% bonus by using the link in my bio at Duck Millard. Last night in the NHL, there he is, my man, to win the Vesna. Igor Shesterkin of the Rangers picks up the win, makes 26 saves, and only... Gives up one goal. His teammate, Mika Zabanajad, he was on the roll. Two goals, one of them a game winner. Power play goal, shorthanded point, nine shots on goal, and almost three and three quarters shorthanded time on ice. Does your league track that? That's a great stat. It is an absolutely awesome stat to track. Shorthanded time on ice. Because it gives guys more value, even the even some of the stars, like they the you know the the number one defenseman is going to play in all situations and be a star. They're going to get this. 
What a night. That's a week for some players. A couple of goals and nine shots? That is a good week for a number of players in fantasy hockey. So Mika leading the charge for the Rangers uh, in a victory last night over the defending Stanley Cup champion Tampa Bay Lightning. It's a good game, 3-1. That, that uh, MSG sounds so loud. Braden Point, Nikita Kucherov, Steven Stamkos uh, were the offensive drivers for the Lightning. Like, Alex Kalorn played over five minutes of shorthanded time last night. That's going to get you some points in some leagues that have it. Victor Hedman only played 41 seconds of shorthanded time. Whereas you look at the Rangers, the Bradman, Artemi Panarin got it going, Chris Kreider, they both had one assist each. Barkley Goodrow picks up a goal. Carpenter with an assist and Zabanejad doing the damage. Jacob Truba jumping down on the power play, trying to bang stuff in. He had one assist. So did Ryan Lindgren and Keandre Miller. But Shesterkin was the big man on campus last night for the Rangers. Um, Also last night, Logan Thompson. For the Vegas Golden Knights, we just talked about this with Tom Gazzola. The reason the Vegas Golden Knights hired Bruce Cassidy, as Mike Amato told you last week, is his defensive game. What happened last night? The Golden Knights gave up seven shots in the third period. They put up 51 in total, and they attacked. They attacked all night long. 20 shots in the third period. So the Kings jumped out to a lead. Vegas fights back. How about Jack Eichel getting the first of what I think is going to be 50-plus? And then Mark Stone, the GWG, former Wheat King, gets the win for his GM, a former Wheat King, Kelly McCrimmon. But uh, you know what? Logan Thompson, 27 saves. Did give up three goals, but 27 saves and only faced seven shots in the third period. That's the new Vegas Golden Knights. Button down, don't give up a lot. Alex Petrangelo, the big wheel, the big nut on the blue line for the Golden Knights. Two helpers, two shots on goal, three hits, a block shot, and almost three minutes of uh, shorthanded time. Two minutes and 51 seconds of shorthanded time. It was a good game last night. It was a, it was a good night uh, to actually... Watch some real hockey. Not not preseason, not practice. Not preseason, not practice. We're talking about an actual game that we watched last night. So those were the top shelf fantasy night performers. Uh, as mentioned, if you want to throw something down on a game... Use the link in my bio at Duck Millard. Get 125% bonus on your first deposit. All right, uh, we will duck out for our final break. Come back in a second and look ahead to some games tonight, especially Major League Baseball and the schedule in the National Hockey League. This is Ultimate Fantasy Sports Daily. We're back in a second. Thank you. 
on this Wednesday afternoon. Thank you so much for being a part of the show, sticking around and joining us uh, through all two hours. We are here Monday uh, through Friday. Uh, We are here 4 till 6 p.m. Eastern. Don't forget, we have Ultimate Fantasy Football with Andy McNamara, 11 a.m. on Sundays, right here on twitch.tv slash ultimatefantasysports. Get your last-second questions in before the deadline. I think those London games are over now, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, But catch Andy uh, tomorrow. He'll be here, or catch Andy on Sunday. He'll be here tomorrow for Ask Andy as well. Uh, So make sure you use that hashtag on social media, especially Twitter. We'll find your questions. He'll answer them. He'll reply to them, help you win your league, and make it better. Uh, So let's double back to our question of the day. Who will be the first coach fired in the NHL this year? We know it's going to be Barry Trotz. It's probably the first coach hired, but... Who will he be replacing? I think it's Pierre Laviolette in Washington, which would be quite ironic if uh, Barry Trotz ended up back in Washington. Our top three today is based on Devontae Adams being charged with misdemeanor assault for pushing a cameraman the other day. Uh, It wasn't the worst thing, but it was a dumb thing to do by Devontae Adams, and I'm a Raiders fan. Just, you know what? I don't care if you're upset. Have respect for other people. What if that was one of your coaches, your teammates, an official, one of your owners? What if that was Mark? Well, it wouldn't have been Mark Davis. He would know where to go. Some people are blaming the camera guy. But anyway, I don't think Devontae Adams should be charged with misdemeanor assault. I think that's quite silly. But I think he did something stupid. So athlete meltdowns. Jim Everett, when he was being interviewed by Jim Rome, simply amazing. John McEnroe, anytime during the 80s, he was legendary. And Tuka Rask, when he was with the Providence Bruins, uh, pretty brilliant. Uh, Brilliant uh, snap job on the bench, throwing everything from the bench onto the ice. Uh, it It was quite fun to watch. Um, speaking of uh, sort of meltdowns, Randy Johnson had one with a camera guy and a pigeon. And ironically, those two things are now tied together. He pushed a camera guy in New York when he signed with the Yankees and the guy was following him on the street and he destroyed a pigeon uh, one time while pitching. And now he has Randy Johnson photography. And isn't that the greatest logo of all time? the pigeon getting destroyed by the ball. Literally, I thought that when Larry Fisher, my good friend, sent this to me, I thought it was a joke and it was a lookalike. But seriously, Randy Johnson is an accredited photographer for NFL games. Like, he has his own company. It's brilliant. I guess he did photography in college before he became the big unit. So that is a brilliant logo. I'm sure PETA is not happy with it, but... Kind of a athlete meltdown a couple of different times. Love it. Love uh, the big unit. I don't love this. This game is in a rain delay. Uh, and they're saying it's not going to get underway until maybe 7.30 uh, local time in Atlanta, which I believe is, is central time. Correct me if anybody watching, you can tell me what time zone Atlanta's in. Uh, but the Phillies will try to take a 2 nothing lead on Atlanta. And how is this weather going to impact things for Kyle Wright? Pretty good against the Phillies this year. 15 strikeouts in 19 innings. Zach Wheeler going for the Phillies. He was dynamite 
in the wild card round versus the Cardinals. Six and two, two hits, no earned runs. The Phillies are going to need, as I said, Zach Wheeler to go deep because they used six relievers yesterday. They're going to need some uh, deep innings, at least what he did in the wild card, in my opinion, uh, for the Phillies to have a chance against Kyle Wright. If they can do, if Zach Wheeler and company and the bullpen, when they get into it, can do what they did yesterday, they'll love it because the Braves had just six hits in the eight innings before a couple of singles in the Matt Chapman home run in the ninth inning, three-run homer. Wright has given up more than two earned runs only once in the last nine starts. When that happened, he gave up eight. So that's what, obviously, the, uh, the Phillies are hoping for. I don't like the Phillies' chances in this one unless the weather plays a major role. I expect the uh, Braves will tie this up whenever they do uh, get this game underway. Uh, Not exactly sure when this game is going to start. Looking like 7-ish, 7.30 maybe. Not sure. The Dodgers game is supposed to start at 8.30. Now, there was rain last night in L.A., so... Maybe we will see something like that again. Um, we'll see. Former teammates, you Darvish, who was with the Dodgers on a short playoff run. Uh, Kershaw and Darvish. Good pitching matchup tonight. Clayton Kershaw has absolutely owned the Padres in 45 career games. He has an ERA of 2.03 and 300 strikeouts. He's also 23-9. and nine. That's pure dominance. The Padres do hit lefties well. I can't wait to watch Kershaw tonight. Like 8 p.m., that is the going to be one of 8.37. Uh, the Oilers will just be getting into their first intermission, and this game will be coming on. I'm set. Trey Turner, really good last night, was the National League battling champion last year, and the Dodgers traded for him. Uh, hopefully they can keep him after this season. And the Padres just stunk 0 for 4 with runners in scoring positions. And it was their bottom half, the 5 through 9 hitters that did all of the damage last night. Six, well, almost all of the damage. Six of their seven hits, including the home run. So this comes away at uh, 7 or 8.37 Eastern time. Uh, Oh, so that's 6.37 my time. I don't know what I was thinking. Time, Time zones screw me up sometimes. So that's uh, in a few hours. This game might actually start before that Phillies game gets underway. That's quite interesting. Uh, All National League today. The American League will get back at it tomorrow. And we'll see. I, I think the Mariners are done now. I think that was their chance. They are 7-31 and 31 in Houston since 2019. So Louis Castillo was really good against the Yankees this year. Uh, just one start against them with Seattle, but he had 23 strikeouts in just over 21 innings. They're up against the quality start king, though. A quality start is at least six innings and three or less runs. 25 straight times Framber Valdez did that from April 25th to September 18th. Almost the whole season. This guy, like you're almost automatically getting six innings out of this guy and less than three runs. So this is why I think Seattle, that was their shot yesterday. They had the big lead. Uh, they let 
Houston back in it. They had Houston two outs, two strikes. They had Houston down to their final strike, and they still couldn't get it done. Jeremy Pena, a rookie no less. Little chop single that brings up Jordan Alvarez, and he hits the walk-off. Oh, Robbie Ray, again, I don't like when managers go to starters in those situations. You, you just, like, what confidence does your team now when the Astros walked off last year's Cy Young winner in relief? So the Astros, uh, in my mind, they've won this series already. You know, you you weathered the storm with uh, Justin Verlander last year. You got Dusty Baker, who said, this is one of the greatest games he's ever been involved with. This is Dusty Baker. Played for the Dodgers in the 80s. He had all those fights with the Yankees. And he's saying that was one of the best games he's ever been a part of. That tells you how good that game was. But he's stuck with Justin Verlander. We talked with this uh, to Eric Grossman yesterday on this show. Verlander was getting knocked around a little bit. Dusty Baker could have easily went and made a change. They did come out and have a conversation. But he stuck with his guy. Verlander weathered the storm and then settled in. I'm trying to find... uh, I think Verlander had finished with six or eight Ks yesterday. You know, he didn't get the win, but that's okay. He kept them alive. So Verlander went four innings, gave up 10 hits. Oh, he only struck out three. But still, he gave up the the early stuff. Like the, the, the Mariners scored four runs in the first two innings. They, they got a guy to third twice in the first two innings. But then in the third... Uh, and the uh, the fourth he gave up too. He didn't give up like the big one and, and allowed his team, who had closed within a run, to make the comeback. And I think that, that just spreads that calmness from Dusty Baker, probably just spread to the rest of the team. They're like, well, he's not panicking and taking Verlander out, so maybe we shouldn't panic and we can probably win this game. I mean, they cheated their way to a title. Why can't they come back? Still, Jim Crane. I don't think it taints it. Whatever, Jim. Bunch of cheaters. So I I think the Astros have won this. And the only reason I'm somewhat happy about that is because I want to see the Dodgers crush them in the World Series. Uh, And then the Guardians and the Yankees tomorrow night, 7-37, uh, another good pitching matchup. The lefty Nestor Cortez against the right-hander Shane Bieber. Uh, it was really good with eight strikeouts and on just over seven and two-thirds innings in the wild card. Uh, both bullpens were really good. No surprise. The Yankees, one to four hitters, one for 12. Pretty impressive that they won game one when their first four hitters went one for 12. I think Cleveland still has a chance in this series. I'm not writing Cleveland off like I am um, Seattle. 
But Bieber's got to win this game for them, for them to go home to uh, Cleveland. And, you know, the Yankees, they better hope their top four guys remember how to hit. Or else this one's going to be over in a hurry. Just like this show. It's over now. Big thanks to Tom Gazzola. You can catch him on TSN 1260 uh, with the pre- and post-game show tonight before the Oilers and the Canucks, uh, which get underway at 8 o'clock. Again, the Phillies and the Braves, rain delay. That game's not going to start until this evening around uh, maybe 7, 7.30 Eastern uh, Central Time, maybe 8 uh, Eastern Time. Uh, the Braves, or sorry, the the Dodgers and the Padres, they get going away at 8 Eastern, 8.30 Eastern, and of course, seven NHL games on the slate tonight. Uh, man, uh, this is, this is going to be a great evening of television watching. You've got the Bruins and the Capitals. You got the Blue Jackets and the Hurricanes. Like I that that's uh, I think going to be uh, an exciting contest. You got the Leafs and the Canadians. Original 6 great matchup. Um the next matchup not so good. Blackhawks and the Avalanche uh quite one-sided, uh, most likely in that one. And you've got some other good matchups out west, starting uh, with the late games. you got the Oilers and the Ducks, and the Canucks, or the, sorry, you got the Ducks and the Kraken, and the Oilers and the Canucks. So, massive night of TV watching, or maybe you're going to one of the games. How cool is that? Uh, whatever you're doing, do it safe, have fun, and please uh, join us again tomorrow, 4 p.m. Eastern, right here on twitch.tv slash ultimate fantasy sports. Thanks very much for tuning in today. Have yourself a wonderful Wednesday evening. That's what it is. And take care. Thanks, Sam. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.